You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Hello and welcome to Inside Mountain Bike Radio. I'm your host, Ben Welnack, and with me for this episode is Chris and Helen Scotch. They are the race directors of the Tuscobia Winter Ultra Marathon, which is this year is January 1st through the 3rd. In starts in Park Falls, Wisconsin, and uh, goes to Rice Lake. So there's a trail called the Tuscobia Trail, and it runs along that. So what we're going to do in this episode is just give you guys an idea of what it is. It includes, it's not only a fat bike race, there is a ski and a run. So keep that in mind, 150 miles on foot in the winter. Um, but what we're going to do is we are going to go back, kind of talk about the race, and... Uh, you know, the history of the race, they, Chris and Helen have been doing this for four, this will be their fourth year and, um, you know, get their perspective, have them talk about the race, give you some details, uh, and we'll just chat. So thank you two for uh, joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yes. Um, so if you're new to mountain bike radio, they were on, oh, when was it this summer? I think, uh, we, we did a, something. Um, early in the summer yeah yeah early summer maybe late spring uh, yep and we we talked about the race actually i think we might have talked about it and then we released i didn't release it for a while and we, anyhow so but if you're new to mountain bike radio thanks for joining us and uh you're about to find out about this tuscobia winter ultra marathon so let's talk about let's back up kind of talk about the history how did you guys become or, or kind of take on the race as race directors talk about that yeah, so the race existed. A previous director had it in 2009 and 2010. Um, and then uh, shortly before the 2011 running of the event, um, some things came up and he wasn't able to continue it on. So Helen and I thought about it for a couple nights and uh, just decided kind of let's take it over, see if we can keep it alive and at least keep it going until someone else can pick it up long term. Um, that was about a month before the race that year in 2011. And, uh, here we are coming into our fourth race now. So <laughs> back in 2011, we actually lived in Minnesota, so it was, it wasn't too bad. We've since moved, lived in California now in Oregon. So <laughs> a little bit more challenging these days. Yeah. But I mean, you have the, you have the kind of the network set up back there. You have some fan, yeah. you know, have some family, have some friends, um, so definitely, uh, definitely makes it a little bit easier. That's the fourth time you're doing it too. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that community that we're part of back there, both in the running and biking and, and skiing to some extent is what's enabled us to get the volunteers to put the race on as well as, um, you know, our core participants are obviously from the Midwest, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, uh, Winnipeg, um, so, and we see a lot of repeat customers. It's kind of a, a big family more than um, anything else. Right. And, you know, I want to mention too, that you didn't, you didn't, it wasn't like you were just coming off the couch and picked this up. Like you t listeners, you need to know that these two are pretty accomplished ultra marathon. And what have you done? You're so Chris, you've done a lot of, you've done endurance mountain biking. You've done the ski no, not the ski. You've done the run several, you've done several winter runs. Last time you were on, or you two were on, we talked about, uh, you guys just did the, was it the frozen otter? 
Or we Arrowhead. Did the frozen Otter. You did Arrowhead as too. Well as the Arrowhead, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I knew about Tuscovia because I had actually done the race myself in 2010 and uh, the 150, and was signed up again to do it in 2011. Okay. Um, and um, as you mentioned, I've done Arrowhead a few times, and Helen and I both did it last year. So. Certainly we were familiar with the venue and I grew up more or less in northern Minnesota where winter is more a way of life than a season. So I, I just thought everybody did these kinds of things. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to see Tuscovia yeah, awesome. go away. So that was part of the impetus for us to pick it up and make sure it kept going. Great. So let's uh, go back a little bit to when you first started. I So the reason I'm doing this and listeners, the reason I'm kind of getting their perspective is because I want you to know, I mean, you're paying your money for this event, right? But I want you to know the people behind that directing it. A lot of times you buy something, but you're also buying the person that kind of puts it on and uh, everything that goes with it. So that's why I'm kind of getting their perspective on these things and letting you know who they are, because I think it's important. So when you go to click register, you know that Chris and Helen are pretty cool people that came on here, you know, shared what they knew and uh, were willing to do this. So uh, all right. So the last question before we get into the details, what I want to talk about is that first year. So you, a month before the race, you get going, you have, you have roughly, you know, 55, I think you said 50 something people came out to race. Yep. Um, what have you learned from that first race to now? So in your preparation <laughs> to get, so now getting ready for this year's race, you know, we're talking about it and. I forgot to mention too, uh, listeners go, it's Tuscobia. The website is tuscobia.wordpress.com. So T-U-S-C-O-B-I-A.wordpress.com. That's the website that has all information, uh, registration details. So what did you guys, what's different in your preparation getting ready for this year? Well, you know, it's funny because, I mean, in some ways that first year was almost easier just, you know, for a few reasons. We didn't know what we were doing to a certain extent. We made a point, you know, when we did pick it up and make it formal because we were debating just kind of doing something informal because the previous race director had like announced that it wasn't going to happen. And so people were in kind of the process of, you know, maybe choosing to do something else or making other plans. And so when we kind of made the decision to make it formal, we let people know that, you know, it was going to be a pretty basic event, um, you know. People needed to be prepared, uh, you know, to be as self-sufficient as they could. And and we've kind of, we've certainly continued that. And that, that was the intent of this race to begin with. But uh, I think, you know, because we didn't know what we were doing wrong, it was sort of pretty simple the, the first year. And, and we've tried to keep it as simple as we can, not add anything that's unnecessary to the race so that people feel, you know, they're kind of up there. They're, you know, it, it's relatively hardcore. There's a shorter distance, so you can certainly do it as an entry level winter race. But if you're doing one of the longer distances, you know, you know that it's a, it's a worthy challenge. Yeah. And it's, I think it's like what you said, it's, it's kind of like that with any endurance event, right? So if you, so if you're to tell somebody, Hey, go do the Arrowhead 135, right? The first year is if they're in shape and all ready to go, you know, they'll get through it and be like, okay, cool. You never knew what you're getting into. The next year, you know exactly what you're getting into. You know exactly what you, you know, you have the list in front of you, basically of all the stuff you need to do. And you're, you, there's a point where you're like, oh crap, how am I going to get this race put together with, you know, 
without people complaining and all this stuff, it's, it's a much bigger for listeners. If you haven't directed a race, there's so much that goes into it. Even if it seems easy, it's not. So. Yeah, definitely. And, and I would add that first year, I think, because we basically only had three weeks to do everything from the permit to the transportation, to the checkpoints, to a venue, to host it and have a start finish line. It all happened so fast. I think in some ways I almost wish for that rather than it being <laughs> yeah. uh, it drawn really out. A, it's a yeah. nine months a year kind of thing now, lining things up. And um, uh, in some ways uh, I kind of miss that flurry of activity, but uh, yeah, certainly we've learned a few things and uh, as Helen said, we're, we're trying to keep it uh, kind of a fun, supportive family atmosphere. When you go, you're going to feel like even if you don't know anyone, it's a it's a cool, fun place to just hang out and be with like-minded people, and um, we try to give as many opportunities for that type of environment rather than, um, I guess, maybe like an overproduced, you know, overhyped mm-hmm. type of thing. Because as Helen said, it, if you're going out there to do a 35, a 75, or 150 mile winter ultra, you're a special breed of person to begin with, and you. You may all that other stuff may not really resonate with you, so we try to keep it um, pretty simple. So, to throw my example in there. Um, Chris's dad, Mark, is he's I don't even know how old is he. Sixty? Not yet. No, <laughs> almost. He's got to be almost getting there. He's got a few years to go. He's fifties, oh, but <laughs> mid fifties. He's pretty active for a yeah. So anyhow, mid fifties, whatever. I even if he's you couldn't tell. You would think he's yeah, yeah. like you know forties. But I had not met him face to face. I had known him through other people, through Facebook and uh, some other stuff, just through mountain bike radio in general. And we got to, I forgot the name of the town. It's past winter, past the next group of towns. Um, Radisson and, or somewhere there. Yeah, it might have been Radisson. There's like a little restaurant maybe there. Yeah, um, there's, yeah. Yeah. So the trail, it's an old rail trail that is now just a ATV and hiking, biking, whatever, snowmobile. Um, and I got the Radisson. I see this and keep in mind that, uh, Mark is skiing the 150. So he goes all the way down 75 miles, comes all the way back and they start a little bit earlier and we'll talk about the details, but he's on his way back. We're on our way out and he stops me. He's like, you're Ben Welnack. And I'm like, who are you? Like, how do you know? Like we're <laughs> in the middle of this, like, cause he had all his stuff on. Like I, I maybe would have recognized his face just from pictures and stuff, but it's hard, right? You're in the middle of racing this and, and he's like, Hey, I'm Mark Scotch. And he was telling me all this stuff. I'm like, Holy crap. Like I, this is, so he's like, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go get some food over here in Radisson and, and, uh, whatever. So I stood there and talked to him for, I don't know, a few minutes. Like, so when they say, that it's got that feeling about it. It definitely has a feeling about it. You stop in the checkpoints. Um, there's different checkpoints and different, what they have little hotels set up as checkpoints. You get in there and I like, people are like talking to you. And I met, um, at the one, uh, Birchwood I met, I was coming back and I met some guys coming that were just coming in kind of going out towards Rice Lake. And one of them was a high school teacher or a high school mountain bike coach that listened to mountain bike radio like he started talking to me and a couple other guys started talking. So like there really is that sense of it's not just like a, a short cross country race where you kind of just you're in and out and nobody says anything and you're just like, oh, hey, you know, you look at each other's bikes and that's about it. Well, this yeah. is definitely not like that. <laughs> so 
it's, and I think it's, there's like a, there's a sense of people looking out for each other a bit too, because everyone realizes like, you know, what, what you're putting into it. And, you know, it's, and it's, it's small enough that, you know, you will, you'll meet someone at the pre-race meeting and you'll see them out in the course the next day. And, you know, that's kind of the, certainly the, the sense we want to keep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think you got it. So, um, it's pretty cool. You definitely listeners, if you're up in that area and you're looking for something, like they said, you know, just beginning, even that 35 mile option is a really good chance to, to chance to get out there and try it out. If you're looking for something longer and just getting into it, maybe that 75 is the way to go too. But if you're willing to do 150, I would say do it, but all right. So let's, uh, give people now I kind of gave people an idea of the, the distances. Let's, let's talk about the details, talk about the distances, what it's like for the run, bike and ski, what somebody, you know, once they sign up, what can they expect from now until the race? So who wants to take that on both of you? Yeah. So <laughs> okay. I'll start. And unfortunately, if you're one of those uh, guys or gals who are looking to do the 35 or 75 mile, we're more or less sold out. So oh, really? Earlier, oh, when did that, when did that hit? Just within the last couple of days. Okay. Um, okay. There have been some people switching and, um, and canceling. So it's, I would say if you're definitely interested in it, keep an eye on it. Things open up. Um, should they, uh, should they just keep an eye out on ultra sign up or the, should they send you an email? Do you have like a little list going? Uh, we do not have a wait list officially, uh, but certainly it doesn't hurt to send us an email. And then that's just Tuscovia at Gmail. Um, but yeah, ultra sign up is what we use for our registration and the um, availability and capacities are on there. Uh, and then as well as the entrance list, so you can kind of see who else is going. Um, the 150, as we mentioned, we don't cap, but we do uh, somewhat of an informal screening process just to make sure that anybody who enters that race um, has the experience um, to demonstrate to us that they can, first of all, safely finish uh, as well as, uh, um, well, let me back up, that they can be safe and as well as finish and hopefully safely finish um you know the race is what we describe as uh self or semi-supported in that there are there's no outside help allowed from crews or family um we do have checkpoints set up that will have uh, basic soups and foods and candies and chips and pop that you might expect at a uh like a small checkpoint um can but I, other than that, out, can I just inter- can I just interrupt on that? You, yeah. you you say like simple basic you know foods. People when he says that these checkpoints are fantastic. Like <laughs> it it might just be simple basic food, but it's there that the volunteers like are just ready for you. They're like, what can we do? What can we do? You kind of roll into these um, little like I said these hotel rooms, and first of all, you don't want to sit down. Um, but no, just, no, definitely not. Because <laughs> it's warm, it's nice, and people are there talking to you. But like, truly though, uh, from my experience, the food like there was not there was everything you needed. So anyhow, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then kind of alongside that, so it's it's self or semi supported in that sense. And then one thing that we do um, is there are a lot of businesses, and by businesses I mean there are tiny little small towns along the way and there might be a gas station here and then 30 miles later there might be a bar um so we encourage actually racers to patronize those businesses so um it's a little bit different in that sense um we don't consider that outside help per se because we want to support the the venue that we're holding this race on and the local communities that allow us to come in so um 
you know, if you happen to be going by the gas station and it happens to be open and you want to take the time to cross the road and go over to it, you're certainly able to do that. Um, and a fair amount of people do that. Uh, although when you need something like that, it's usually the middle of the night and it's closed. So I don't bank <laughs> on it. <laughs> so with, um, the other thing I wanted to mention, you know, a lot of people wonder about the course conditions. Can you talk about what it's been like the last, it's different from day to day. I mean, last year it was different from day to day from most definitely. Um, the Saturday it was, I think it got up to low thirties. And then a cold front came in and by Sunday at, uh, like noon or one, it was what zero. So, um, but just give people an idea what the variation can be from year to year. So like the, you know, the each year that you've done it, what can people expect? Yeah, it really has changed. Like the first year we took it on because it was also held earlier. It used to be the first three years of the race, um, including 2011 when we took it on was like the weekend before Christmas. So that made a big difference because, you know, it's, you know, in recent years, it's unusual to have that much snow early in, in the year, in the season. So we moved it then in 2012. And since then, it's typically been kind of between Christmas and New Year's just to, you know, a few reasons, I suppose it helps us from a vacation perspective and most people do it. And then also more chance of, of good snow and we don't want to move it too later much later because we don't want it to clash like what people wanted to do arrowhead so we've tried to keep it sometime like right over the holiday season and this year just because of the way the days are falling we're we're starting it on the first so given like last year there was considerably more snow than we've had before um and and so we're hoping you know certainly we want snow again um but you know the conditions change and it, it kind of adds to the race because you know there can be a lot of snow but it can be soft and wet and then overnight it can harden up and freeze and so that really it, it does you know what you start out doing on a 75 or 150 mile ride is is certainly going to change over the course of time so you know even though the course itself is relatively flat and you know, not a difficult ride from that perspective. The the conditions of the trail are probably the biggest challenge to people. And and then just the temperatures going up and down, you know, swinging by 20, 30 degrees. So kind of being being prepared for that from a gear perspective is is the big factor as well. Yeah, and I would add that last year somehow during that polar vortex that was <laughs> gripping the country, the our race, the start of our race was um, relatively mild. I think it, you're right; it was somewhere in around 30. Um, and then it did change. It got cold and windy, and I think the Sunday after the race, it was back down around zero or maybe even colder. Yeah. Um, and in previous years, I think 2011 was the year that we actually had bare patches of ground that it had rained the week before the race and then froze. So what snow was still there was icy. And everything was just frozen. And then another year, um, the two years after that, it was actually pretty cold. Um, lows around zero at night. Um, enough snow, definitely. Um, 2012 was a little bit tough on snow, but for bikers and runners, it was fine. It was tough for the skiers. Um, 2012 was good snow and good cold temps, not too warm, not too windy. Um, and you know, having done a few of these types of races myself, I, the distance won't kill you. It, it'll be the conditions and whether or not you're prepared to deal with it. Um, and that's, I think that's unique to winter racing. Um, and, and it's really, you know, we call them races, but most of the time you're out there battling the course and battling the conditions. And if you happen to do that faster than someone else, that's kind of just the icing on the cake. <laughs> yes, it is. And especially with those longer, those longer ones that really, 
I knew right away last year I was I did the 150 and I was following right from the get go I was following Charlie, who won the 150 bike and uh, I looked down and I could see, like, I look back I look back behind me and I'm like oh man I'm I'm like digging in way more than he is, and I knew I was in trouble and I'm just like oh I'll just keep doing I keep lowering the pressure to see you know keep going as much as I can and yeah. You don't, survive. <laughs> you you just don't survive. Like you, you need to have had, you know, looking back on it, I would have run a different tire, but I just didn't, wasn't prepared to have, you know, two sets of tires on me and all this different stuff. So it just didn't work out. But like you said, yeah. it's just, it really matters. I mean, and, and I think last year was a great example of kind of the worst of conditions, not so much that it was extremely warm or cold or snow or rain, but when it changes, um, it definitely affects the field when it goes from warm to cool or cold or windy. And certainly our finish rates last year showed that. I mean, of the 150-mile racers, um, this is all of them, the run, bike, and ski, the overall finish rate was 24%, um, <laughs> which <laughs> I don't have the other year's finish rates in front of me, but um that's probably lower than most other years and and even the 75 struggled a little bit um it was a 73 percent finish rate which is obviously much higher but still um you know that's not insane yeah it's a great challenge definitely a great challenge so what else uh what else do you guys want to uh hit on with the description anything else uh we kind of hit on you want to talk about when when they come up and the whole, you do a meeting the night before, you want to just run them through a little bit of the logistics and then we'll talk yeah, about, then you can mention the sponsors and kind of talk about that. Because we have like three different race distances and three different modes of transport, we've sort of been figuring out the best way to like, you know, separate them out. Cause our, our goal kind of, and we've changed it around a bit over the years, but our main goal is to try and, you know, have quite a few people out on the trail at the same time, and particularly towards the end. So to have as many people finish in the same sort of, 10, 12 hour space as we can, which, you know, is pretty hard to predict given the, the different conditions and different um, race distances. But with that, we, we start the 150 mile foot people on day one at 6 a.m. So that's like the start of the race. So for this year, that'll be Thursday, the 1st of January. So they'll set out from Park Falls, uh, go to Rice Lake and back to Park Falls. So 150 on foot will start at 6 a.m. And then the next set of people to start is at 11 a.m. and that's the skiers and and they're all the people that will go out on thursday um the first year we did it we used to have the bikers start the first day but then we you know we kind of realized well they obviously are moving a lot faster and just kind of trying to strategize that more people finish together and it allows us as well kind of day one to just work out any kinks and make sure you know we can sort of concentrate volunteers at, at, together in a, in a better way too from a logistics perspective so we moved the bike to the second day so that the 150-mile bikers will start at 6 a.m. The, the second day of the race. So this year, that will be Friday, the 2nd of January. Um, and that's all the 150s out there. And and then next up, the 75-milers, they all start together, and they're starting at the opposite end. So they're starting at Rice Lake and making their way back to Park Falls. So we start them all together at 10 a.m. Um, on, on Friday, the 2nd of January. And then they'll sort of all, you know, finish sometime that night, the next day. Typically, you know, the bikers are, are anywhere from like 
eight, nine hours to, to, you know, 15, 16 hours or longer. And then, then the runners kind of at the back end of that and all the way through, you know, 24 or five, six hours. So we kind of start to have a lot of the, the finishers concentrating on, on day three. Um, and then for the 35 miler, we've kind of changed around that a little bit, just again, trying to figure out kind of the best day to have it and the best way to have people finish together. So this year we are doing the 35 miler on the Saturday, on the, the last day, and that will start at 7 a.m. Um, and that's similar to the 30 or to 75. We like bus people out to the start and they all make their way back to Park Falls. So the 35 mile racers, all bike runners and skiers will start at 7 a.m. Um, out at Ojibwa. So we've got a nice little setup there for the start um, where we start like at a, at a park facility. So we have a nice warm fire for the pre-race meeting um, and and get people on their way back to Park Falls. Yeah, and the pre-race meetings for the the other start times are generally the night before that race. So if you're a 150 runner going out on Thursday, your pre-race meeting would be Wednesday. If you're a 150 biker going out on Friday, your pre-race meeting would be Friday night. And um, what we've done in the past and are hoping to do again this year is have a, again, kind of a simple kind of pasta salad dinner. Um, and we're each year we're striving, we're getting a little closer to what we would consider healthy. So more nat- <laughs> more natural type right. foods, you know, knock the preservatives out, no need for fake food coloring and stuff yeah. like that. So it's also part, it's also park falls, Wisconsin though. Keep in mind people, yeah, it's a yeah, small town the, and yeah, that's the challenge. Right. Um, and so the staggered starts are a little bit confusing and a lot of people ask us why and want to start other days and things like that. But we feel kind of, again, in the spirit of making it almost like a, a fun party, kind of fun place to hang out atmosphere that really brings everybody into the finish line, as Helen said, kind of in that same small 10 to 12 hour window. <laughs> and um, then when you finish, you can hang out and have a Coke or have a beer from one of the local microbrews or order a pizza and you know, kind of reminisce about the race and the event and um, just chat with people and uh, kind of continue the, the feeling of the whole event. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely worth checking out. So um, just a reminder, people, go over, if you want more information, go over to, to tuscobia.wordpress.com. It's T-U-S-C-O-B-I-A.wordpress.com. So you you two want to talk about the sponsors? I don't know if you have everything set and what the prize is and all that stuff, but you have a couple. Uh, you have a I did a ride trail invitational uh, entry up for uh, up for a prize, right? Yeah, again this okay. year. So kind of this is a, a two prong thing with uh, ITI or I did a ride trail invitational. Um, we're a qualifying race for them, so people who have dreams or aspirations to do ITI. Um, generally have to have a qualifying race and the 150 mile distance qualifies for that. And for anybody that knows about ITI, just uh, wanting to do it and getting a qualifying race doesn't mean you'll actually ever get in. Um, there's a long list of people who try to get into that race and it's uh, somewhat of a invitational in the sense that they pick the, the racers that they feel are best suited, um, however they do that. Um, and that's another reason for kind of uh, trying to get the finish line um, as concentrated as we can is at the end of the races, we offer up a paid guaranteed entry into ITI. And the way we determine that is take the winner from the 150 mile races. So there's run, bike, ski, 
and then there's male and female. So six potential people go into a hat and it is just a hat and we have somebody draw out a name and we send that person to ITI and um, like I said, it's, uh, you know, it's a $1,200 entry, but the really great thing about it is it is guaranteed. So if you, um, can use it, you will go. Um, unless, so that's huge. Unless it's the same person winning it again this year. <laughs> <laughs> He'll probably go anyway. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Uh, There's been a certain, a certain Buffington that's won it more than once. <laughs> yeah. On bike and foot. Yes. Yeah. And, and he's coming back to ski this year. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for those of you that might know who Charlie is, uh, he did actually send us an email asking us to disqualify anybody who's won that entry twice already. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's pretty funny. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's obviously we're we're honored to be a qualifier for ITI and to be associated with something like that, and for them to allow us to offer a guaranteed entry is uh, obviously a big draw for us. We get people that are going for that and. And that brings in some of the top racers, um, runners, bikers, and skiers. And um, that's a kind of a neat thing. And then for our partners, we are pretty selective on who we partner or sponsor with um, for a couple of reasons. One, we want it to be relevant to running, biking, or skiing in winter if possible. And we also don't like the idea of having a million sponsors and diluting kind of um, – the impact that they might have on um, our racers and our participants. So in that vein, we have a run partner, a bike partner and a ski partner. Um, 907 has been our bike partner from the beginning um, from 2012. They started with us and um, they're again uh, going to be offering. Um, so each of our partners are offering uh, gift certificates for the podium finishers for both male and female in all three distances. So it is a pretty substantial commitment from our partners in that sense. And I believe 907 will again be offering a frame set uh, this year. And that'll be a random drawing as well. And then our run partner is a local running store out of uh, Minneapolis, um, Twin Cities Running Company. Uh, and they've been with us from the beginning as well. And again, they're offering certificates for podium finishers. And then our ski partner, uh, they were new last year. They're a ski shop in Rice Lake, Wisconsin, which is the the one end of the trail that we were on. And they're also offering uh, the gift certificates for the skiers. And out there is also providing uh, volunteer support and uh, before the race and during the race and um, definitely glad to have them on board being somebody that's right on the trail and in the community. Um, and they have a great following in the ski world. So, and that help is huge. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> the dedicated help, you know, that's, that's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. These, these events don't happen just because there's a few directors that want to do it. It's definitely all the volunteers. Yeah. We've been like super lucky to have, you know, obviously haven't lived in, in the twin cities, for several years and being involved mostly more in ultra running than than biking or skiing, but you know built up mm-hmm. a, a great community of support there and and just a lot of people that have come multiple years and you know sometimes they've participated and volunteered in the same year or sometimes they've kind of switched on and off and it's just been great to have like to know that you can count on on some folks who you know have a lot of experience volunteering at these kind of events and know what people need and kind of know when to help people and when to let people do their own thing. Right. 
Well, great. Yeah, and, and kind of in that vein, too, with um, partners and sponsors, uh, our race headquarters is the Shawamigan Canoe Club, which that very first year we took it on, um, Greg Broom, yeah, it was an introduction through my dad, actually, and we came to him and said, uh, we want to hold a race in three weeks, and we need a venue. <laughs> <laughs> Are you interested? And, and uh, he he was ecstatic about the opportunity to have something like this in Park Falls. And um, so certainly without him, uh, we wouldn't have got off the ground that year. We would have been doing the race out of a park pavilion with no walls, and I'm not sure how long that would have lasted. Right. Um, and then he recruited in two um, members of the community in Park Falls, Gail and Mike Bouchon, who have helped us from that first year as well. And they do a ton of uh, work for us, uh, which, again, with us being out of state is uh, invaluable. So certainly they're uh, as valuable partners as, you know, the the um, 907s and the TC running and the out there. So Great. And uh, I want to I want to leave with a little tidbit here. So this is the only race that I know of. There's probably some out there, but I don't know of any. If anybody knows, you can shoot me an email at Ben at Mountain Bike Radio. That goes through two world capitals of something. Do you guys know what world capitals it goes through? Uh, I'm, you've done more research than us, sorry. <laughs> I just noticed it when I got there. I never knew. I'm. We have some land uh, just east of uh, Park Falls. Maybe uh, it's like half an hour. And I never knew this. And then Birchwood, I never knew either. So, so and, I, and I learned on the on the race last year. I saw the sign. One of them has to do with fishing. <laughs> yep. And Birchwood, the world capital of. I've seen the billboard. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's right near the hotel. Actually, it's uh, yeah. the bluegill capital of the world. That's right. And uh, Park Falls is the roughed grouse capital of the world that's right so it's the only race i know of that uh, goes through two world capitals of something yeah well and that that gives you an idea what the uh, terrain's like lots of trees and lots of water yeah yeah and and last year you know with the snow if you guys if racers if you get lucky enough to get some fresh snow it's beautiful like at first especially the first part of the course is just you're going through like these kind of swamp area like it's not swamp but it's like lowland area it's beautiful so but uh, very cool. So check it out, everyone. You can go to, again, just a reminder, tascobia.wordpress.com. All the information's there. Like you said, it doesn't hurt shooting them an email, uh, tascobia at gmail.com. If you, you know, if you're hoping to get in one of those shorter distances, otherwise the 150. One thing we didn't mention, you guys want to just touch on the, the gear list before we wrap this up. So if somebody's interested, they know what they're getting into as far as the required gear list. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of goes along with even though the shorter races are sold out this year, um, you know, this event's probably going to be around into the indefinite future. And it is the kind of event where you need to think ahead a little bit um, and, you know, so put it on your calendar for next year if yep. uh, you want to do one of the shorter ones. In terms of gear requirements, so for the 75-mile and the 150-mile there are uh, mandatory requirements of uh, gear that you have to carry. So if you're on a bike, figure out how to get it on your bike. And if you're on foot, either in a pack or in a sled. So a zero-degree sleeping bag or warmer, um, a bivy sack, a sleeping pad, a stove, and then fuel for that stove, and then a pot or container of some sort to melt snow. And the idea behind the stove and the fuel and the pot is – 
if you run out of water uh, or you can melt snow and make more. Um, fire starter to light that stove. And then uh, headlamp. Um, most most bikers usually have a few of those. Most runners usually have a couple. Make sure that they don't go out. And that's actually a requirement. So if you if you lose batteries or kill your batteries and you don't have a light, that's, that's a no-no. Um, and then... For visibility, because it is a multi-use trail, uh, snowmobiles are on it, uh, occasionally ATVs, other people walking, hiking, whatnot, and then there are a few road crossings, so you're dealing with cars in that situation. Um, three flashing red lights, um, and then at least 20 square inches of reflective material, um, 10 front and 10 back. Um, and those two requirements are pretty standard for these long winter type events. And then the last one is 3,000 calories. So all of the required gear that I listed, you're required to start with and finish with. Um, so that means you have to finish the race with the 3,000 calories. And again, the idea behind all the required gear is if you something happens to you, break a leg, it's a more or less self-supported race. We're not out there checking on everybody. Um, if you need to spend the night, you need to be able to survive it. Um, so that gives you sort of an idea of what kind of environment we're dealing with, with the long winter ultra. Perfect. So if anybody has any questions, you can, if you have any questions for me, you can email me at Ben at mountainbikeradio.com. Otherwise you can send them an email at Tascobia at gmail.com. And like Chris said too, you know, put this on your schedule for next year, make sure you get in. Uh, it's definitely a, a worthwhile event because, you know, early on, I, I know the Midwest is getting filled with all these different races. I mean, you could race, you know, starting now, December, you know, right before Christmas through March. Um, but this is definitely one of those that kicks your season off pretty good. So it's not far from most of the Midwest. It's kind of centrally located in the north area. So if you're in the UP, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, it's, it's not, it's not really that out of the way. So definitely worth checking out. All right. Is there anything else you two want to mention before we wrap this up? I don't think so. Thanks okay. for your time. Yeah. yeah thanks, Thank you. And, and thanks to everyone who's participated so far and signed up for this year. We're looking forward to another great year with hopefully lots of snow. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And <laughs> hopefully it has a little bit uh, of chance to get uh, packed down and then it doesn't warm up like for the day. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. But anyhow, so I look forward to seeing you too. And well, it's less than two months now. So we'll see you. We'll see you out there. That's good. All right. All right. And thank you everyone for listening in to another episode of Inside Mountain Bike Radio. I'm Ben Welnack and we'll talk to you soon.